0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. All right, so we've, we've just got a few little life lessons. We're always looking, you know, what does the Bible say? What does it mean? But we want to look for the application. What does it mean to you and me today? In this story, I want you to note, Jesus stops in Jericho because these two men start crying out to him, and he responds to those who cry out persistently. So what I want to you know, begin with as we read the first couple of verses is these two men had an opportunity. They, they were near the presence of Jesus, the Messiah. They took full advantage of the opportunity presented to them. So you are you being here today, and not only those you are here today, but we got people watching online, we got people listening to the radio. Why don't you clap and let them know we can we're here, we acknowledge you, we welcome you. <laughs> and um, so beginning in verse 29, it says, Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him, Jesus. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus is, you know, his ministry headquarters was in the north, Capernaum, the little villages around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is to the north of Israel, Then you have the Jordan River that comes down, and then Jerusalem is down in the south, and therefore the temple is down in the south. Therefore, all of the Jewish people that wanted to be at Passover, Jesus is now headed to Passover. So there are families traveling all the well-known roads from the north down to the south to Jerusalem. The natural place where you would stop just before you would begin heading up the Judean hills to where Jerusalem and the temple were is a little oasis called Jericho. And I want to show you, this is kind of a, you know, satellite, uh, bird's eye view, and and as you look at that, you can see that it's literally, I mean, surrounded by barren, dry, that's why it's called a wilderness. Uh, Nothing grows there, it's sand, it's dune, it's desert, it's dry, it's arid. But then, right in this in this little place, there are deep, deep rivers or springs uh, that, that of water that happen to, at Jericho. They gush forth, and therefore, it's one of the most ancient, uh, continuously lived-in cities in human civilization. Jericho was a jewel in the barren wilderness that surrounds the Dead Sea. It's an oasis of fresh water, beautiful trees, productive crops, figs, citrus, and other fruit. And what's also significant about Jericho, the last stop before you head up to Jerusalem, it was the first city the children of Israel came to after their 40 years in the wilderness. When they got to the edge of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the very first place that they would come in, to possess uh, of the promise that God had given was Jericho. Now, here's the problem. Uh, you know, there's two million of them, but they're not an army. They're people. They're families. Uh, they're grandpas and grandmas and moms and dads and little boys and girls and babies. Two million of them and and now they come to jericho jericho is an ancient city and because it's an oasis from ancient times it's been fortified with a tremendous stone wall absolutely impenetrable so that's that's the the place that now they come and as they come to jericho i think jericho would have had some special memories for jesus you remember the story of how they marched around seven times they shouted to the lord In Jericho, they shouted to the Lord, and they blew the trumpets, and God brought the walls down. Here's what God told the children of Israel. If you'll go uh, with me, and you'll follow me, and you'll trust in me, and let me lead you and guide you, I will fight all your battles for you. All you have to do is come behind and take the spoils. How many of you want to follow the Lord in such a way? Amen? So that's exactly what happens here. Now, Jericho would have also brought some very precious memories to Jesus because it's very personal to him. There was a woman in the whole story of Jericho that lived in Jericho. Her name was Rahab. You remember the story of Rahab? So here's, you know, the two million people, they come, but they're not an army. Here's Jericho living inside a fortified city. Ha ha, you can't get to us. But the Israelis sent spies inside. They got in, they hid and deceived, and they got inside. And they're trying to get, you know, the, the scope, the lay of the land. And what's it like? And what, what, do we, what is the strategy here? And as they go in there, they happen to talk to a woman uh, that, that her name is Rahab. So she is uh, Canaanite. She's a Gentile. Uh, She is a woman, and her occupation is she is Rahab the harlot. So they talk to her. They, you know, say, hey, you know those two million people outside that everybody in here is worried about and talking about? We're with them. We're spies. And she goes, I've heard of you. So I'm going to paraphrase what Rahab said. I have, not only have I heard about you, the Hebrews, I have heard about your God. And I like your God. Because your God, you were, your history, you were slaves for 400 years. And then we heard that God raised up a mighty prophet and he delivered you from the most powerful. I mean, at that time, Egypt was the superpower in the world. And your God delivered you from the grip and the power of the Egyptian army and delivered you from all of their gods miraculously So that two million of you then went through the wilderness. We heard how your God provided for two million people uh, food, bread from heaven, water out of the rock, and now they've passed through the wilderness. For 40 years, your sandals did not wear out. We have heard of you. I have heard of you, and I believe in your God. I don't believe any longer in my gods, and I believe that our gods are false gods, and they're false idols, and they trap people, and they abuse people. And so I'm with you. Therefore, I choose to hide you. I will protect your identity. I will not let them know who you really are so that then you can escape and get back. And I believe that your God will deliver my city into your hands. Therefore, when you go back to your commanders and when you pray to your God, remember me. And they said not only will we remember you but we will tell our commander joshua all about you and because you have believed in our god and you believe that god will deliver your city into our hands therefore we will protect you and your family here's the deal when god brings the walls down and we come in to take conquest of this city we want you she had a a, you know a, a doorway or window in the wall where her house was and her family was, they said, you and your family, you stay in that one room and you put out a red scarlet thread and our army will be told and they will know you can go and do whatever you want anywhere, but wherever this room where there's a scarlet thread, that is to be spared. Beautiful, red, scarlet, crimson, like the blood of the Lamb that had delivered the children of Israel, like the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, who is our Savior and Deliverer. So she becomes. Now, after that whole thing, and that happens, they come in, God knocks the walls down, they come take conquest of Jericho, Rahab is spared, and her whole family, and guess what? Rahab gets adopted by the Hebrew people. She marries a Hebrew man. She begins to have children and then grandchildren, and guess what? Rahab, the Gentile, who formerly was a harlot, who who became a believer in the God of the Hebrews, is in the genealogy that leads to none other than King David. Did you know that Rahab is in the genealogy of King David? And then from King David, we go all the way to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who came from David, and David who came through Rahab, Jesus. So I'm wondering, surely Jesus had fond memories as he came to Jericho that day. Because once again, he would hear shouts and cries, and blindness, and its dark walls would come crumbling down, and healing and salvation and grace and glory would come to these two blind men. So it's very, very precious. Thinking about this Now, it's interesting that Mark, I, he tells the same story, but Matthew does not tell us the names. Mark identifies one of the two men as Bartimaeus and the son of Timotheus. So he says, uh, there's this man, one of the two is named uh, Bartimaeus, and we even know his father's name. Although at the time he was an unknown beggar, it is possible that later... Bartimaeus became a well-known, respected member of the body of Christ. It's almost as if Mark is saying, hey, in the days when Jesus the Messiah was here and he went to Jericho, right before he went to Passover, uh, at that last supper, there were two blind men that cried out, and one of them was our dear brother Bartimaeus, who is actually a believer and a member of our own church and congregation. So it was a beautiful and a precious story all around for all of them. Now, Uh, Let's look at these uh, next verses, 31 through 34. It says in verse 31, Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. (laughs) So they're crying out, Hey, Jesus, help us. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. I want you to note that they not only called him Lord, they gave him the messianic title, Son of David. We believe that you are who you claim to be the Messiah, that you therefore have the power you claim to have. You are the son of David. They were told to be quiet, but they called out even more. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Notice two things there. Because they shouted to Jesus, he was apparently walking with an entourage, passing by, going down the street. But two men on the edge of the crowd have mercy on us, son of David, over here. Have mercy on us, son of David. People are, shh, shh, shh be quiet. And Jesus stops walking. He turns around. He walks. Where are those two yelling beggars? Oh, they're blind, they're blind. What do you want? Now, here's what's very interesting to me. If two guys stand in front of you and they're blind, isn't it kind of obvious what they want? Why do you need to ask the question? But I want you to notice they did. Uh, Jesus asked them a question. This is very, very powerful. And it's something that we need to learn from. The world is waiting for you and I to start asking some questions. Now, a little bit later, I'm going to tell you what exactly. It's one of the most powerful. If you would like an open door to people's hearts, In order for them to be ready to receive the message of the gospel or the testimony that you have this is one of the greatest questions the greatest secrets you can ever have is to know what to ask them so Jesus asked them what is it what do you want me to do for you and they said to him Lord that our eyes may be opened it wasn't enough that everybody could see that they were blind they needed to speak what they wanted we need to, with God, say exactly what we mean, exactly what we want, exactly what we are asking. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. Circle the word compassion. There's another one of the secrets of the release of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is that you have compassion compassion. That you are moved with love. Miracles are not a technique. It's not something that you just learn uh, and do it for its own sake. It is certainly not a show or something on demand. It is emotional. It is personal. So Jesus had compassion on them. By the way, if you were blind in those days, in that culture, um, there, and, and it's hard to explain, and in, even in some parts of the world today, it's the same. That if you have a child with some physical disability, it is within the uh, traditions, and if I may say honestly superstitions of the people, that there's something wrong with the child, and that the child, therefore, you are free to reject them, uh, to not care for them or maybe provide for them, and then they would become, automatically, to survive, they would have to become beggars. And I'm sure that the Lord was aware of all of this. And Jesus had compassion, and he touched their eyes. And immediately, their eyes received sight, and they followed him. I want you to note there that he he touched them. Now, Jesus didn't always touch people. Sometimes he just gave the word. He just gave the command. Because he is the living word. And when he speaks, you know, in the beginning, God created light by speaking light into existence. I love this. This is, this is the true God. All God has to do is speak, and it is so. Light be, and light was. Whatever God says is. He speaks it in the beginning, and then we come to the Gospel of John. I love it, chapter one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, guess what? That Word, if you're a believer in Jesus, the word is coming to you. You and I have been given now, listen, delegated authority in Jesus. Not our authority. It's the authority that he earned by his death, burial, and resurrection. He is seated far above all principality, power, might, dominion, name that is named not only this world but also that which is to come. There is none higher in the universe of existence than Jesus of Nazareth. He has authority. And because he has authority, he has power. Dunamis. Where we get our English word dynamite. But listen, to his sons and daughters, we have delegated authority and power. When we come into alignment with the will of God, we also can pray and we can give words that God will bring healing and that God will do restoration. God will do what he wants to do because he honors his word. He is the living word. Can I hear an amen on that? So sometimes, you know, you just give the word and you, you pray. When we pray, we, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we command all sickness to leave. We're not the healers. He is. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. But our job is just to demonstrate and act in faith. But then we also have been teaching, modeling. For communion, for instance, lay hands on one another and rather than you know somebody has the gift of healing and you fill up a you know arena or whatever and everybody comes to the one person which is not bad and it's not it's okay but what is even better that i think is that there is a corporate blessing and the gifts plural of healing and that can be given through the body of christ therefore that's why i'm having you lay hands on one another why and the bible this is another way of healing yes giving the word giving the command Delegated power and authority. Secondly, laying on of hands. It's biblical. And it, the Bible doesn't say that only pastors or priests or missionaries can do that. The whole, we're all, the Bible teaches of the priesthood of all believers. Therefore, any of you and all of you who know Jesus Christ, you can lay hands on someone and pray for them in Jesus' name. And you don't have to wait till church or communion to do it. You can go anywhere, anytime, to anyone as the Holy Spirit leads you. Why do we lay hands upon people? Here's the exciting and amazing thing. Because guess who's inside of you? The Holy Spirit dwells inside the bodies of every single believer. The Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead. In other words, resurrection power dwells inside of you. Most believers do not realize, oh, well, it has to be this way or that way. Or it could never How could God use me? He, because it's the Holy Spirit. It's not you. It's not about you. So we need to learn how to release this river. Jesus said, the spirit within you is like a river from way deep inside that gushes forth up through our heart, out through our countenance, even through our words, even through our touch, to be able to bless and heal others. So Jesus touched them. He he had compassion upon them, and their eyes were opened, and they received their sight, and they began to follow him. When these men cried out, I want to just say this, uh, that the, the Greek word that is used for they cried out is the word that it literally means to scream or an anguished shout. So th- that, and then notice when they screamed and shouted, and by the way, this is a story that happened in Jericho. Jericho's the original story is about shouting. When the people shouted and they blew the trumpets, the walls came tumbling down. So what I want to say to you is that there come moments and times in our lives when we are in desperate and Jesus is passing by. These two men realize that, hey, you know, he's not, he didn't come to stay in Jericho. We know he's coming through Jericho. He may be here only a day, and even now he's on his way out. So this is our once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Therefore, they shouted, they cried out. That same word used for cried out uh, is used of a woman's cries at childbirth. It was used of the Canaanite woman near Tyre and Sidon who cried for Jesus to heal her tormented daughter. It is also used of the crowds shouting at the crucifixion. It is also used by Jesus himself as he cried out from the cross. So what I want to say to you today is how desperate are you? How serious are you? Every single human being that is in this room at one time or another in your life and by the way more than one time will be in a very difficult situation. And what do you do when you are at, at you know you're desperate and you want to get God's attention I want to make a suggestion to you cry out to the Lord. Shout. And you know what shouting does? It's like, I'm not messing around. I'm like serious right now. Lord, have mercy upon me. I have been in situations in my own life where I've been very, very desperate. Dark places. And I tell you, when I, you know, I go out, I want to get alone with God and, and I want to, I shout, I have shouted to the Lord. And sometimes, you know, you're wanting, okay, Lord, I need you here, I need you now, I need angels, something, show up, help. And then it did not immediately appear. I've had times where I cried out, like they cried out, and they immediately got healed. I've had other times, so some where I've cried out, immediately the Lord came, and some I've cried out, and nothing so far. And I feel the Lord watching me, and I'm like, I'm crying out, I'm shouting. He goes, I know, just, I'm coming, I'm with you hang in there. I'm like, okay, God. And basically, you have to come, you know, persistently. They persistently cried out to Jesus. And there there comes times where he's like, are you going to hang on? Or are you going to be like those who say, yeah, I prayed, nothing happened. I shouted, God didn't show up. Oh, you're going to put God on a timer, and if he doesn't come according to your bidding and your time and your understanding, he's not there, it doesn't work. I want to suggest the moment you say, I knew he wouldn't come, ah, you just revealed you never had faith to begin with. You didn't even believe from the beginning. Here's faith. I'm shouting to you, God. I need you right here, right now. But I want you to know, if an angel doesn't come out around the corner right now, if lightning doesn't strike, if I don't get delivered this instant... I know you, I know your character, you are good, you have heard my cry, you will deliver me when you want, how you want, I am not letting go. I will persistently cry out to you until I am vindicated. I'm not letting go. He goes, okay, now that I can work with, that's faith. I'm not letting it go, sorry. That's what these men did. I'm not trying this, they were serious. And they cried out, son of David. I love this, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, let's read it out loud. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I have found that there are times I thought, wow, Lord, I'm really crying out. And you don't get the immediate answer. And then I had to dig even deeper and deeper and deeper. I've gone to deeper places than I ever knew were possible. And sometimes God waits because he wants us to go really, really deep. Because he's planting pillars that will carry you for the rest of your life. When Jesus, the Gospel of Mark says uh, that Jesus told them, go your way, your faith has made you well. Made well is the Greek word sozo. And its meaning is to rescue or deliverance, also a healing or salvation. It's probably the most common Greek word that is used of salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. So you're going to get healed, you're going to get delivered, you're going to get your sins forgiven, you're going to have your eyes opened, and a beautiful thing. So I want to say real quickly about when the Lord does bring the miracle, when he brings the answer, three things happen. Number one, this powerful, dramatic demonstration of God's compassion for men is proof of Jesus' messiahship. Every answered prayer, every miracle, every healing is proof that Jesus is alive, that he is risen, that he is king of kings, and that he is Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Number two, it is a preview of the millennial kingdom. Jesus' kingdom. Do you know what? He's up in heaven right now. He's been there some 2,000 years. He's interceding for the whole body and bride of Christ. And do you know what burns in the heart of Jesus? From the moment that he was here 2,000 years ago, what burns in his heart is, I can't wait to be let go and go back. He wants to come back more badly than you want to see him. And I believe that we're, after 2,000 years, it's almost like, I believe, human history is kind of like, you know, the three days. I will be crucified and I'll be buried but on the third day I will rise. I believe that God's got a beautiful thing. For two days, Jesus has been gone, he's up in heaven, they can't see him, only by faith, but we're on the eve of the third day right now. And I believe his kingdom is coming very, very soon. And during the millennial reign, when Jesus is on the earth, here for a thousand years, no sickness, no disease. And I wanna say, and I gotta just say it, for a thousand years, there will be no political campaigns. For a thousand years, nothing to vote on, no bo- battling and arguing. He's the king, and he rules, and he reigns. But thirdly, healing is symbolic. Healing physical blindness is a picture of a an incredibly more wonderful healing, more miraculous than physical healing of your eyes, opening of the eyes, is when your spiritual eyes are open when you really see life through God's lens. Now, I wanna say this because we, we believe in miracles and we believe in healings and all of that confirms that Jesus is the Messiah, but I want you to know this. God's will and purpose is not that you live and exist forever in this human frame, in this human world and in this condition forever. Ultimately, God's will is that we go to heaven Anybody that the Lord prays... So when I pray for people, they go, well, what if God doesn't want to heal them? I go, no, God wants to heal. Well, how do you know? Well, I believe God wants to heal everybody. And so that, that's the way I pray, and I pray with faith. And then you, know, you pray for someone, and then they end up, you know, they die, they go to heaven. You go, well, God didn't heal them. I go, oh, no, 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 no. They, did, they got healed. They, he, if God had healed the cancer, that's partial healing, temporary healing. They went to heaven, got a brand new body. That's permanent and eternal. That's the big healing. That's 100%. That's the goal, ultimately. Yes, you can clap. You want to go ahead and acknowledge that that's it's a good thing. I mean, those who have gone before us, I am telling you, I got family, personal family up in heaven. Not one of them wants to come back down here like that. When they come back, they want their new glorified body. I don't want to see them that way. Well, listen, open your eyes. I want to read a couple of scriptures uh, with you. Acts 26, verse 18, this is a big part of the message of the gospel. This is what I'm praying for the city of San Diego. I'm praying for, you know, what we saw in Lebanon, we're seeing in San Diego, revival is happening, God's doing many things, he's uniting the church, pastors, regional leaders, but I'm praying for more than revival, I am praying for a great awakening. You know what a great awakening is? A revival is like the church people go, whoa, yeah, let's get, a, you know, let's get on fire for the Lord. That's revival. Awakening is when God reveals His glory, His power, His supernatural presence to people who are not in church. They're just out walking the golf course and all of a sudden the fear of God falls upon them and they go, woe is me, I need to get right with God. Can I hear an amen on that? It happened in the Hebrides. Sean, Pastor Sean shared a video about what happened in these islands in Scotland where God's presence, and it wasn't just on church people, the, the hilarious part was on the non-church people and the presence of God falling upon them, and them going, I need, I need to get right with God. It was a beautiful and wonderful thing. So, let's read Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So that's what the gospel did in ancient Rome. It opened blind eyes from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. There's a pitched battle going on right now in our world, and it's showing the the spiritual battle that is, you know, right behind the scenes. And I'll tell you why what's going on. God is moving. God is bringing his glory. God is manifesting his presence. The kingdom is on its way and the devil is freaking out right now. This is one of the most exciting times in human history. The devil is scared. He knows that he has but a short time. He's running out of time. Time is on our side. The king is coming. The kingdom is coming. Nothing can stop it. So it's a glorious time for us. So opening of eyes. Now the next one, is a story that I'll tell you briefly after we read this. Let's read it out loud. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the story is that uh, in that day, uh, the king of Israel, he has a prophet, which is really good, man of God, Elisha. And he would say to Elisha, should we go up against our enemies? Yes, go, or should we do this? Okay, do that. And then Elisha would tell the commander of the army, he goes, by the way, would you like to know where their campaign's gonna be, where he- what their strategy is? Yes. Do you realize what an advantage that is? Even like in football, if you know the other team's plays and what they're gonna do when they do it, you can game For that and take advantage of them and win. So that's what Elisha was giving inside information. So the the king of the Syrians goes, What in the world? And some of his guys said, Well, you know, he's got this prophet guy uh, with their God, and God keeps their God keeps telling him what we're gonna do. They know what we're gonna do before we do it. And so the king's like, What? Are you serious right now? And they go, Not only that, king but we've heard that he knows what you whisper to your wife in your bedchamber at night. Whoa! How many find that scary? (laughs) So guess what the king does? He goes, okay, take my entire army. We're not going after the Israelis anymore. I want my entire army. Find that one guy. I'm going to send my whole army after him. So that's Elisha, and he's sitting out in the field. They line up the whole army coming after him. Well, Elisha had a young guy. So he's got to have a young protege named Gehazi, and Gehazi looks up one morning and goes, ah! He goes, the whole army, the gig's up. They know where you are. They're coming after us. We're going to die. And Elisha's, you know, yawning, drinking his coffee, relaxing. He goes, Lord, open Gehazi's eyes. Let him see what I see. And all of a sudden, the scales come off Elisha's eyes. He saw this army of all these little men on their horses coming for him. But then behind them were these huge, gigantic, spiritual, supernatural angels with flaming swords drawn. And there were more of them than the Syrian army. And they completely surrounded the Syrians. And guess what? Nothing happened to Elisha that day. That's what God wants to do for his church today. We keep looking at, look at the enemy. Look, the enemy's doing this. He's doing that. Oh, man, did you see on the web? And now they're trying that. Oh, no, it's all falling apart. No, it's not. God has the world surrounded. He's got every nation surrounded. There's more that are with him that are against him. He's already won. The battle was fought 2,000 years ago. His second coming is a mop-up operation. We're... (laughs) We're on the winning side, guys. I'm telling you. So I want to just say, then quickly, there's a a game-changing thing that is going on. I really do believe that as we come to the end, you know, the end of this year, into the 2020s, I think this is, man, I I am so excited. I cannot hardly wait for 2020 to get here. I believe it's going to be the most radical. And we've been praying for not only revival, we're praying for awakening, and, I, and I've already been hearing words. God, you know, God gives words. So God's been bringing me words. I've heard your prayers, and I'm going to show up. I'm coming. I'm going to let my presence be made manifest. He goes, man, Just get, you don't have to do anything? Just get ready, man. Just get ready to go with the flow. He's coming. His power is coming. His glory is coming. His majesty. So guess what? We are not a church for church people. We are a church for all the non-church people. They don't know that they can come in here. We're for anything, anybody, anywhere, at any time. We are a church for those who do not yet know. The day is gonna come where they'll be walking somewhere far away from church or Bible, and all of a sudden, the fear of God will come upon them, and they'll go, man, I need to go hear, I need to go hear about God. I need to get my spiritual act together. How many would love to have that happen to your family, neighbors, and friends, let alone our kids? So in closing, let me just go through four things I want to share with you. Know that God wants to use you to bless others. Last week we talked about the greatest in the kingdom, servant of all. You will be used by God. Now these scriptures, you can write them down. They're not in your notes. But I want to go through them very quickly. That God, you're the key. You're the key. It's not a church. It's not a program. It's the body, each one individually. Okay, let's read Matthew 5:14. You are the light of of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. God's putting you prime. He's putting you out on display to be seen. Luke chapter uh, 14, verse 23. Let's read it. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Hallelujah. God wants his house filled. He wants it overflowing. Second Corinthians 519 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Hey, listen, that's our message. We can go to anybody, anywhere, at any time and say, hey, guess what? You don't have to pay for your own sins. You don't have to pay for your messy life, your broken life. Your sins and debt have already been taken care of and all completely paid in full. God wants to love you, bless you, bring you into his family and fill you with his spirit and give you the gift of eternal life. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. That's our message. Hell is not a place that God wants men to go. By the way, hell was not made for men. Let me say that again. Hell was not made for men. The Bible says Jesus said it was made for the devil and his angels. So the only way people get there is if they choose to go there because they decide, crazily, they want to pay for their own sins rather than let Jesus Christ pay for their sins. Now, the next verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, says this. Let's read it. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We're the ones, our mouths, that God's going to use. Jude 23, snatch others from the fire and save them there is fire. Hell is real. Not made for man, but there's too many people going there because they're not listening. Uh, Ezekiel 33, verse 6. Let's read it. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Let me say that I believe that this next decade, I'm going to call it the It's from 2020 to 2030, the decade of destiny. I believe that that God's getting serious with the nations of the world. And I believe that in one way or another, God's judgment's going to be coming. And the Bible says, Jesus said in the end, every nation will be judged by God. Only those who come underneath uh, the blood of Jesus will survive. Judgment is coming. Don't be surprised when judgment comes. Anywhere, at any time. But we have a responsibility to tell them what is coming and that there is a way of escape. So the good news is he's paid for our sins. We want to share that with them. Now, once we realize and take personal responsibility, number two, build a personal relationship. So let me say this. People don't really care what you know. Most people really do not want to get into a theological debate with you. Um, And so what's more important is listening to them. You know, when I was in, again, Lebanon, and they had this situation, war in Lebanon with the Syrians, and then Syrians go war and civil war, and, and then a million and a half, basically, for the most part, Muslim, Syrian refugees run over the hills, back to Lebanon, which they had overpowered and conquered and defeated and killed and all of that. So now here they are, before they were army, and now they're like refugees and the Lebanese, even the believers, had to, oh, man, these are the people that hated us and killed us and abused us, and what do we do with, they were our enemies. So then they had to go to the Bible. What did Jesus say we have to do with our enemies? Oh, man, we got to forgive them. We got to love them. So they go, well, what are we going to do? You know, we don't want really to get into a debate and theology and our religion versus yours, try to convert, all of that stuff, No. So very wisely, the church said, look, they're they're living in tents. Uh, They they don't get medical care. They can't join a school. They're trapped. They can't go home. They can't really make a life here. They have no future. This is a recipe for disaster. But they're human beings. They're starving. They're barely surviving. Let's just give them food. Let's give them food. So the Syrians are in their tents, barely scraping by, a few onions or whatever, and so they go, hey, we heard that at the churches, they'll give food. Ah, they might try to convert us, or it's weird, or they're, you know, they're Christians, or we were at war with them, and, and so finally they go, you know what, we're desperate, we're gonna, we can perish, I'm, I'm going to get food. So they go and get food. And then wisely, they, they encouraged the believers passing out, here's a box of food. which was very meaningful to a mom with a family. They said then, Uh, ask them questions here's all you have to do just say tell me your story tell me your story what happened to you where's your family from why did you decide to leave everything your homes your you know lives your schools and and you fled over the hills and now you're here and what was that like tell me your story and you realize just by asking that one simple question tell us your story an explosion do you know how badly those poor people, some of them had lived for seven years in a tent, arguing, fighting, they got nothing, no future, no hope, nothing for their kids, and somebody asked them, can you tell me about your story, tell me your pain, tell me your suffering, you wanna to listen to me? Boom, they go like that. And as they listened to them, then they prayed for them. Lord, just give us wisdom, you know, and sometimes if they were sick, they said, can we pray for you, and they pray for them, and sometimes God would heal them or do a miracle, these are not not because they're believers, not because they had a theological debate, our religion versus your religion. It was like, we're Christians. We feed people Jesus told us to love and forgive our enemies. And by the way, we can pray for you and we'll heal you. we we'll are pray in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, something started happening. And then the next thing, and here's the thing, if you do that, by the way, remember Jesus asked them a question. What do you want? Do you have, you have neighbors and friends and neighbors that, in one way or another, what you need to ask them is, tell me your story. What is your suffering? What is your pain? What's going on inside of you? And then listen. That's all you have to do is listen. There, few people, somebody put it this way. They said, if you listen to the conversations of the world, seven billion people, most of them are the conversations of the deaf. Everybody wants to talk and have someone listen to them, but everyone is deaf and no one is listening. I believe that the church is called to be listeners. That's why Jesus asked questions. Tell me, what do you want? Where does it hurt? What do you need? Like a good doctor, a good physician. And then if you do that, then it builds the opportunity uh, for the third thing. And that is, after you hear them, love them, feed them, clothe them, pray for them, God maybe does touches them, now you have earned the right to share your story. Sharing your story is, here's, let me just tell you, I was like you. I was anxious. I was fearful. I, when we were at Civil War, this is what happened to me. This is what happened to my family. Here's the ones that I lost, but here's what Jesus did for me. Now you've earned the right to tell your story. All you have to do is tell them your story of what Jesus did for you, what Jesus means to you, how Jesus fulfilled you, how Jesus satisfied you, how Jesus ministered to you. They will listen while they're eating the food and receiving and hearing your love and feeling your arms of love wrapped around them. They will listen to your story. And again, I say you are the expert on your life. You have the PhD for your life. Nobody can tell you what you thought, heard, felt, from the time you were a kid until now. You're the expert. Nobody can argue with you. And this is what Jesus did for me. And let God then minister and do what he will do. And then finally, give a personal invitation. You can either lead them to Christ right there. If, when they're ready, they'll be ready and willing. Or you can invite them to church. I encourage you. And I want to start saying to, to invite people, especially If you're thinking about inviting somebody, you can invite anybody any time, any week, but I would especially love it if you would invite them like on a communion Sunday. In in fact, it would be awesome if in two weeks from now, every one of you invited some rascal to church. It hasn't been to church like in forever. Just tell them, hey, you know, like at our church, we've been praying for people and God's healing people. It would be awesome if I believe that God would love to heal some people that they don't even believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus. They think this is all nonsense. They're in it for the money, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. So come, things are happening. And God healed a few, even pagans or whatever. And like, wow, what's that all about? Now, see, all of a sudden, how do you debate? Who wants to debate? I was sick and I got healed. I'm okay with that. But at the same time, in communion, we share the gospel. We share what it's all about. Jesus, this is why the cross, his body was broken, his blood was shed, and he is alive. And that's why by his name and power, he can touch people when he wants, how he wants. He makes a difference in our lives. Can I hear an amen on that? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.